You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest's life was changed forever when the events of 9-11 evolved in New York City. Rebecca was 23 and celebrating her first year anniversary of work at Morgan Stanley in Tower 2. She had just arrived to the lobby when the second plane hit. With the building shaking and crashing down around her, Becky had no idea what happened. I'm so thankful that Becky has offered her time to talk to us about that fateful day. Please welcome Becky. Hey, Becky, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, I really, I'm, really appreciate it. As we've already spoken about, you know that I'm obsessed with New York. So this story really, really affected me and I'm sure as it has you. Um, well, yes. And obviously I love New York too. I still live here and I live downtown New York and it's... Um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> never even crossed my mind to... I'm very jealous where you live, except minus what's happening in the yeah. environment right now, but, um, well, once yeah, the fires no. stop, I'm always happy to swap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we could do a holiday in both. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is such a good idea. All right. Let's know, talk right? later business. We just <laughs> Airbnb swap. Yeah, exactly. So Becky, can you tell us about your first memories of that day? Yeah, it's always uh, when I talk about this, and I'm sorry if I just redirect me, if I get nervous. Sometimes I get sure. nervous, then I suddenly forget what I'm saying. And I mean, I think this happens to a lot of people. It just of happens course. to me like on a much more regular basis. But um, yeah, to me, when I think back, it's always the first 20 minutes that are the most critical and most sort of burned into my memory. Mm. I think because that's when without consciously thinking, but I knew that my life was immediately in danger or mm. not that my life was immediate. It wasn't even like I had time to think about that. I just sort of, it was the end. I don't know yeah. if I processed like I'm about to die or something, you know, but it just that, so that was the most um, life changing moment and the most, you know, sort of, I remember, um, and because it's so burned into my head, I remember. I remember it like I can feel it. Like yeah. my chest. Oh, I can like, imagine. Feel like, yeah. I was. Um, I was just twenty three, and it was my one year anniversary at Morgan Stanley. I just, you know, graduated college in Boston. Uh, the summer, just moved to New York that summer. Wow. I was only in New York a couple months. I loved it, and I loved being. I was on the seventy fourth floor of that Tower Two. Amazing. It was amazing it was and i was just there i mean you know exactly one year and um yeah and i had and i went to the restaurant my boss had taken um a couple of us up there like some weeks prior so that so at least i got to do that once yeah windows of the world yeah so you like it's on the hundred whatever for funny enough i actually have um a menu from there you do yeah like a pamphlet yeah there I feel like I'm haunted by the story of, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but it's like when I start telling my story and I start thinking of the other people involved, cause this is not about just, you know, me at all. Oh, I just, yeah. just want to be, I feel like self-indulgent sometimes. Like when I'm talking, even though I know that, sorry, this is like, I feel like I'm in therapy being like, I okay, also think that, I think that reliving them too. It's, 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 um, it's giving them a voice. Yeah. It's allowing them to be remembered. That's how yes. I look at it. Yeah. I actually, it took me a long, like, like we talked about a few minutes before, I think you might have like become way wiser than I have in general <laughs> and also way quicker than me. Like I'm just realizing that all this. Well, I am time, older. <laughs> yeah, well, not that much. But, um, 
yeah, no, I, I do now sort of give myself permission to talk about things and, and to know that it's at, in the same breath, I'm thinking about the people that were around me that day. Yeah. Um, there was a long time I couldn't even look at other people that had family members that were killed. Like I literally couldn't look at them mm. in the eyes. I felt so guilty for being alive and like just didn't want, I didn't engage with people that were um, associated with 9-11. It just, I mean, I completely shut down, but that's the, that's what happened after. But yeah. um, I'll, uh, back to that first memory, um, you know, it was because I was in a good mood and young and like kind of happy and just excited about things. And uh, I also smoked cigarettes at the time. So I, um, like I remember that. <laughs> yes, I was taking the long way around like the courtyard in between the two towers. There was a beautiful big courtyard that was like the size of a city block with a beautiful fountain, like a, a an orb shaped something in the middle and this beautiful fountain and people would sit around there. And so I was like sort of, you know, just, uh, taking my time, smoking a cigarette, sipping a coffee, walking across the lo- across that open plaza in this beautiful, like breezy, warm day. I remember my shoe, like looking down, like I was wearing slip-on shoes. Like I didn't have socks because it was September 11th, but it was still beautiful, like breezy. And um, I had uh, just gotten to the, the glass revolving doors of the bottom of Tower 2, the South Tower. And like it all happened in one second. It was just like the, the, all my senses, everything was like to like broken. Like it was, went higher. It's like you turn the volume up as long. Yeah. Like it was the loudest explosion I ever heard. And my ears like went like pop. Um, and from that moment until a few hours later, it was like, and when I talk about this, I try to explain to people when you know when you put your hands over your ears and you press and then you talk you almost do this like more when you're a kid yeah you sound yeah. like you're underwater when you talk like that that's what it sounded like in a split second because wow. that noise was um and at the very same time like there was heat there was that noise so it's like everything was there was a man who really alerted me to it it was like i was still in my little like dreamy you know last drag of my cigarette zone <laughs> and uh, this guy that was maybe 20 steps back to my right he screamed holy fuck it was so i don't know and then it was just like like i said i mean it probably was a matter of a few seconds but it felt like it all just happened at the same time i can't explain it he screamed i suddenly like threw like my cup of you know yeah. And the noise blew out my ear and, and then it, my body was really hot and the man that, that, you know, alerted me sort of out of my dreaminess into this like moment, he must've seen the plane coming. He, he was, um, he was crushed. He, it's something, I mean, it was like um. all in three seconds he fell or he fell or was it's I can't I'm not exactly sure and I guess it doesn't really make a difference but sadly you know he screamed and then he was silenced and I just bolted and I was running um back towards where I came you know with relaxed with my cigarette and coffee and was running like haphazardly through that open plaza and people and thing and it was just raining down huge pieces of or debris whatever it was i don't know i don't remember seeing like papers and stuff flying that early it was just like in the first few minutes yeah it probably hasn't reached yet 
Right. But the, but, but the pieces of metal and debris were immediately, it was just like, just like you're running through a thunderstorm of metal or something. Would have almost been like a video game. Yeah. It was so, yeah, except, and the thing is, I remember that feeling of that adrenaline that my body ran and I wasn't part of it. It just, uh, that fight or flight, my God, I I was flight. (laughs) And um, I don't know how I wasn't hit by anything. I lost my shoes, well, one shoe when I was running and hurt my foot. It was like nothing. But um, I mean, I didn't even stop. I just sort of zigzagged. I don't know. I don't know. So again, why I think about just those first few moments is I was just in a weird spot where that was the most dangerous for me. Um, Mm. And I ran back into the building, actually, just the side of it, because there are the two towers and there are smaller buildings that are sort of connected to it. I thought there was a bomb or something. A few, I was at the base, like entering the 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 lobby so i didn't i couldn't see i didn't see yeah, it yeah. I was at the bottom of the tower so um i ran back into the side and i collapsed on the ground and i was like clutching the ground and i think that was the most raw scared uh, not control like uncontrollable emotion fear everything impending doom i don't know like that was the most i think i felt in one moment and also like i don't think i ever felt like emotions like that again like then it it took out so much energy that like i didn't feel emotion for the next like 10 years but um so i was like that on the ground and i was like it was uncontrollable and people were streaming up from the escalators under underneath um the world trade center where there was a whole shopping center and food and everything in the subway system and people were coming up and rushing out through the through the doors to the street and i was yelling at people like don't go out there (laughs) thinking that that was where the you know so i'm yelling at them thank god no one like listens they're just like crazy lady on the ground who cares (laughs) Um, actually that's not true there was a there are a couple people that came to my side and it, it's something I'll never, ever forget. One was a man who some businessman, um, you know, just crouched down. He's like, are you okay? And, and I was like, no, don't go outside. There's a bomb, you know? And I had to be actually that morning on the 90 something floor for a training for like some mandatory training. Wow. Thank God. I, you know, um, but I was so confused that I was saying to this guy, I have to get to the 90, let's say fourth floor for this training. And, and then I said, oh my gosh, do I have mascara all over my face? I remember asking him that. And wow. like, why, why does your brain do that? That's so I weird. I know, it's so crazy, isn't it? Ugh, I'm like embarrassed. It's just, if, the, if my story is part of this guy's story, hopefully he survived. This guy who knelt down to try to help me. And this girl like, was laying girl, there with the like, how's my mascara? I'm like, oh God, I'm part of that forever. Um, but I, at some point I think he was like, fuck this. Like, and he's like, gotta run. So, um, I mean, he tried to get me to go and, and I just was like, it wasn't happening. So um, I don't know who that, I wish I could, that's for another day. I can think about like who that person is, but. Well, um, hopefully he's even listening. He will listen. Could you imagine? That'd be amazing. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Do I have mascara on my face? Um, And so he, he left and I I wasn't going anywhere. I was going to stay on the floor of that building. And it wasn't until there was someone else um, who, a woman, I didn't even really know well, who worked on my, on the 74th floor. I used to see like in passing and she saw me 
and she's this petite little cute thing. And she like grabbed me and was like, we're, we need to leave now. And I remember also that feeling of that heat again. And like, I was about to vomit and I was like, I'm going to throw up. And I remember her saying, looking at me and like clutching my arm and saying to throw up while we run. And I mean, my God, I don't know how she knew to do that or to be like that. And, um, we, so she basically dragged me in and we ran out the, the door. And I know I'm like taking a really long time to explain this. And this was only a matter of like, 10 no, but minutes. it's good. I think it's good because it gives, it gives listeners that weren't there and that wonder about it. The full yeah. picture, you know, I, think I also great. feel like there's even after all this time, there's so much guilt and there's so much, um, like I dismissed my own story for so long that, I feel like I need to explain why I even sometimes look back and be like, well, that was just 10 minutes of your life. Like, you know, I even beat myself up over that, but I feel like, you know, I think anyone that was there experienced it and and every, every story is valid, you know? Right. That's true. Yeah. I'm still see you, you've got, Oh, that's why this, you have a podcast because you're wise. (laughs) Yes. You've learned. I'm like, I'm like, I just learned that last week. Yes. Um, when we, when, um, her name's Stephanie and when she, um, grabbed me and we ran out the door, the timing might be a little bit off on this, but, um, but the, the second, so that was the first plane that hit the South tower. So I know it's confusing as one, the first plane hit tower two, that's yep. where I'm. And then when Stephanie kind of pulled me out the door and I was in like that kind of distress I was in, um, we look, we started to run and we looked up and that I did see the second plane. So I guess however the timing is at nine Oh two to nine. So whatever that 15 minute like time yeah, period was, was when I was close. running. Right. I was running through the plaza and then in the back into the building and then got out and then there was the second plane. So we saw not the entrance of the, but just the explosion. So again, I thought there's a bomb. I never saw a plane. Um, I didn't hear an, you know, my ear, I still couldn't really hear. And, um, we stood there for a second right outside looking up. And I remember also thinking, I don't know why I keep saying I remember, obviously I remember I'm telling you this, but like, (laughs) I I don't know. I think I'm nervous. Sorry. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) Um, Looking up and thinking that that my boss must be up there that, you know, 70, Mm. that looks like the 74th that looks above 70 or around, you know, and then, um, the, the first building that was, um, anyhow, sorry, I'm getting, I'm, I'm actually like going back and like looking up, like in my mind, I was just like looking up and seeing like a ball of fire. I can can see it. Um, I mean, look, do not apologize. I vision it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As you're talking about it, I remember what I saw on television. Right. Like what a you saw on miles TV. away, you know? Yeah. Because I was watching it live also. But yeah. You know. It's crazy that you have like a TV version of exactly yeah. what yeah. I saw. Um, and it was horrifying so yeah. enough for somebody just watching it on TV. So I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah. There are people know. that are really damaged just from watching that over and over yeah. again. It's like, um, yeah. So uh, we started to see people well I, I now i know it was people jumping but i thought mm. it was you know there were like i don't know what i thought it was uh stephanie again this woman who just 
just knew sort of just somehow she remained like kind of aware enough and putting like two and two together. That was the only time that she showed a little bit of like more fear. And she's like, oh shit. I remember her saying, I'm like, all I remember are the people that scream like the swears. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's when she was like run again. So that's yeah. when we really picked up our like running through the streets, running through like crowds um, we were outside of the area of the two towers. They're still on fire. They're not down yet, you know, and we're just like running. And um, I took off my glasses, which was strange also, because I, I think like I wanted to protect my glasses, even though like I thought I was about to die. But also I think my mind, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm reading into my own like actions too much, but maybe I saw, you know, the people jumping and, and took off my glasses, like not to see it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And, um, and so anyhow, we, this whole time also, and so we're running, I have one shoe because in the first, you know, minute I lost my shoe. So it was like, we all suddenly remembered like, oh, you can't, we can't keep going with one with a barefoot. Cause I think I took off the other one. And, um, we, uh, a few blocks away, zigzagging through the crowds, you know, um, we, we, like run into a bodega and we grab like bottle of water and we like sip it and throw it on us and grab like these like plastic Chinese slippers from like just the corners, you know, whatever yeah, it is yeah. on, on the newspapers. And, uh, and so I wore those and was able to keep running and then walking up basically a hundred something blocks until I got to my apartment by like dinner time um with my apartment which was way uptown so basically we were probably running and we were probably maybe like in soho or just like a number of yeah. maybe like 10 15 blocks away by when the buildings came down but i didn't hear it that was the weird thing is because i wasn't i couldn't hear properly so yeah and once we saw what we saw we also didn't turn back and like really look. So I didn't see the buildings fall and I didn't hear it. And so when, when uh, it's kind of a long story that uh, I guess that's the point of today, but I'm like, yeah, we'll see this next part. But, but basically I connected with my boyfriend at the time who then became my husband, who then became thankfully my ex-husband. <laughs> but um, he, I was able to meet him at a certain spot and, um, and he was the one that said like, oh my God, I like when, when the buildings came down, I thought, I thought you, I just thought you were gone, you know? And I was like, what, what do you mean when the buildings came down? And I remember the other people that were like around, like looked at me and Stephanie, like, um, wow. we didn't know. And then it was just a total, you know, and then it, um, it was running and walking until I made it back to my apartment at, at like dinner time. And then it was the whole trying to get through on the phone lines and calling into there's like an 800 number, like I'm alive, like well, who were you with? And you have to like go through it. Mm. Um, and so there was all of that stuff. And that was like, and that became, and that was like the beginning of a, of a blur. That, that would have been clear. so chaotic at the time too, because there were so many people involved. As you said, there's a shopping center downstairs. Mm -hmm. You've got people that were in the building. You've got people that just are walking past. I mean, absolute chaos. And I can't even imagine how the services, 
you know, got that organized to sort of even have a 1-800 number for you to call. Yeah. And when I, what, what else is like kind of fascinating is um, I don't remember that much from like the walk once we were really out of the danger area and we knew that both buildings came down. So I guess that was a matter of like a couple hours, right? Yeah. We were still, I mean, it took that long to get out of like running through the streets oh, to yeah. get out of the area. Um, and then when we were just out of that area, I remember like Park Avenue was lined with, um, our Park Avenue South was lined with um, like servicemen that had these huge guns and they were like, it, I don't know if this is a clear memory or not, but they, to me, they were like lined up on the side of the street and like standing there with guns and every, and there's no traffic and it's just a sea of people wow. walking up the Avenue. But I also remember thinking how strange it was that how did they appear so quickly or maybe it was hours later, but still like, yeah. how did this, like uh, the whole army like show up and um what a weird i mean horrible obviously but just a the, the immediate aftermath was so strange yeah it would have been so strange like you know days later even all the way up where i lived that you the, there is this weird not weird it was just a horrible burning rubber dead bodies, whatever, mm. everything kind of smell that wafted like all the way up a hundred blocks and like got stuck in the, in the like vestibule between like the, the lobby door. And the, I swear it's like you, it was really weird, but people who were in New York city at the time remember that's that smell. And it, it was just, you know, even if you weren't in that, um, area, but, uh, yeah, so that's that's how I got away. I don't know mm. how, why, you know. Um, my foot was fine. It was just, you know. And um, immediately I started having nightmares and was, like, dreaming about being stuck on something and a truck rolling down a hill and running over my foot and, like, these kind of things. I had a lot of foot dreams for a while. <laughs> Isn't like, that bizarre? Yeah. You know, now I have... Um, these beautiful tattoos on my feet all over like the top of my That's feet so amazing. They're, they're wildflowers because you know wildflowers grow from like yeah. what breaks and cracks and things and so now I sort of try to celebrate my feet like that but I have like a weird non-sexual foot <laughs> fetish <laughs> like you know I think that's I, brilliant I really do yeah it's, it's really brilliant. weird and like one of my things as I know I'm jumping ahead, but one of my things as an artist now, and one of the biggest things that is still that it's been in my back of my brain for a long time and I'll, I still haven't done it, but I will. Um, I want to make a painting, like a really big size painting of those little Chinese slippers that I wore up a hundred blocks. I have them wrapped up in plastic. I was going to throw them out after a number of years. My dad was like, no. And he took them. I don't don't want them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also, they, they smell, they have that. If you open the plastic. Yeah. It's so, so I, um, I actually got them back from him and I was thinking, all right, maybe, uh, maybe they can serve a different purpose now and I can sort of, I don't know. So I haven't, that was just going back to my foot, (laughs) my foot thing. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I want to draw, I want to paint more. I want to paint shoes and I want to paint feet and stuff. It's it's obviously something that you've, 
it's it's basically it's, it's something that you've grabbed onto for the memory. It's serving its purpose for you. Yeah. Yeah. And there was also an element when things, you know, post nine eleven, things, you know, PT, PTSD developed. I was in an abusive relationship. Like things the opposite of like getting help and going in the right direction <laughs> it yeah. happened i just went down a really bad dark path um and i used to i used to if i ever had stubbed my toe or cut my foot um i'd be thrilled i loved like the pain of like i wanted my foot to be like cut off or something it was just a really dark yeah. weird you know thing um so i think it's much better now that my focus is on painting the yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> and all that. This is Ant's talk. I'm just going to ask you a question, and I've, I've, I've always battled with it myself when I've watched everything unfold with 9/11. Um, and it's especially now that when you you can go online and you can you know you can watch the footage, you can mm-hmm. see videos of people's different perspectives and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. What do you personally think about when people put up the videos where they say it was a controlled uh, oh, explosion and stuff like that? Honestly, I've given that very, very little thought and time and energy out yeah. of, there's so many, I, I didn't, I'm not even sure that I knew that that really existed for a while because also I, had an aversion to social media. I, I think I own the only thing I do, I've never signed up for Facebook and I'm actually very proud of that. I think I'm like one of keep doing it. <laughs> keep yes, stay stay I, away. Um, <laughs> but also I have a little bit of OCD. So I know if I see something like I'll get stuck on something, it's more for like to protect myself yeah, in that yeah, way. Yeah. But, uh, and also in, it started like when everyone was on Facebook back in 2000, like in the early two thousands, I, um, that was like the, the beginning of those really dark years. I was, I cut myself off from everyone. So there was no way I'd be online. I was, I was barely talking to my own family. So I was, I was like in a hole for a long time, but what was the point? Oh, so I think I missed out on a lot of that stuff that was floating around on the internet, which is odd because I would read a ton like obsessively about the people that were murdered. So, and especially um, people that were in their twenties because I kept thinking like, you know, it's could have been me me, or it was that, or this person. And I felt like I owe it to those other people to read everything about about them. them. So that's what I did more than looking at conspiracy theories and stuff. And when I, there is a survivor I met that's, um, that got a lot of attention because there's a photo of him and there's blood all over his face. And he was one of the last people to be pulled out and he's a, a wonderful person and, and a, and a really strong survivor, obviously. Um, He was the one, and it was only a few years ago that told me, oh, you probably know, like when I first met him, you probably know me, you've seen my picture. I'm the one that they put on all those materials that say, this is fake. And I was like, what are you you talking about? And then I looked and I was like, oh my God, how, the perspective I look at it from is like, I think about this man who, Oh my God, his most awful moment, like captured and photographed and then to be used, being used like that is so devastating. It's also so like takes away his, Oh, it's just so awful. And so that's how I looked at that. I never even gave, but, and if I meet people that, um, I just feel like sick to my stomach. If I just walk away from people really that are like 
the devil is the, I don't know. There's when I volunteered. Yeah. So crazy. And I, um, a few years ago, like when I had my Renaissance, (laughs) (laughs) as I like to say, like when I woke up from my coma of a decade, um, I also started volunteering at the world trade center, uh, tribute center. It's, uh, run by family members or survivors direct. So the people that give tours of the museum or talk are all one are all uh, directly connected. So is that the current one that I would have visited when I was over there just recently? Well, there are two, it's strange. They're like, I think eventually they'll be merged or something, but there's the one that's the main museum that's underground. Yeah. That has the, yeah, that's the world trades, the the memorial. That is. We didn't cope very well in there. My husband and I went down and I think we were there for all of 10 minutes and he Mm -hmm. literally had a panic attack and said, I can't be in here. I have to leave. Oh my God, I want to talk to your husband. I had a panic attack when I was there too. <laughs> yeah, it, to me, it was, how do I put it? Even though it was there for a memorial, I just felt it was a little odd that at the end of it, there was a gift store. Um, yeah. I didn't like the fact that I could, remember we were talking about that smell. I could mm-hmm. almost smell that still. It was such a haunting experience haunting that's exactly yeah. what it is the thing that i that you know everyone's going to have their own opinion obviously and i think that the things that maybe you and i may have been turned off by someone else may have been like oh that opens my eyes i don't know yeah yeah i i just remember oh and by the way this this um the survivor that was used for the that propaganda he also volunteers there and he does oh. such a wonderful service and and really like Anyhow, yeah, for me, when I went there, I only went there once, and it was a few years ago, and um, I definitely had a panic attack in the bathroom. Oddly, I took a photo of myself while I was in that. This is really strange. This is like when I knew that I was sort of going to do this art stuff again, but I hadn't actually done it yet it was just like in my head percolating sort of and I wasn't I'm not I don't do the social media thing I don't do the selfies but I started taking all these like photos of myself during this time when I started to come alive again so when I had these emotions or was crying or was shaking or whatever which literally like I was just dead for so long and in a bad place before that that I had this um idea to like document it I think it was like oh my gosh I'm having these feelings and number two like I want to look at this and analyze this. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just. It's funny that you mentioned that because um, as you know, my mum just recently passed away on the day that um, she did pass. I took a photo of myself too. Yeah. I was actually walking want... along the beach and it was, I, I, I suppose it was something like I thought I want to remember this moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's for, to reflect back or because it was painful and you think you should remember how that yeah. moment of pain felt or you know, it's just interesting. I mean, it's not to share with them. It's, it's more yeah. like it's, it's documenting something that, you know, is just a really important moment that's going to pass. Exactly. Yeah. That's and, it. Um, and I think for me, that was an important moment that I, you know, finally, after all these years, went to the nine 11 museum, had a panic attack. The thing I didn't like mm-hmm. was, I mean, I think as a survivor, when I was there with like the crushed half crushed, you know, fire truck and stuff, it just, that wasn't that I understand is, is good for maybe for people to in also in a few years or people that 
weren't even around on 9-11 to understand like how real and how big yeah. I, mean, I guess you have to like stick something in someone's face for me the thing that was really disturbing um was uh like listening to the recordings of the voicemails oh, yeah. uh, those things and and it's like i remember that they were playing something on a speaker i don't remember exactly but that was the thing that i was just like okay i think i'm gonna leave now yeah um because i remember actually listening to those because they were also on youtube uh, and I, I did it in a way of, I suppose I got a little obsessed with it all because as you know, I'm obsessed with New York and mm -hmm. when it all happened, I wanted to watch and listen and learn everything about it. And hearing those voicemails was just oh my God. heartbreaking. So to hear them again in that museum, I was like, right. I can't even go in here. Sorry. Right. I was the same way with the way I, I was obsessed with learning about the, the, um, the people that died learning about their stories. And, and so, yes, I listened to all those messages too and cried every single time. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like a self punishment also. I mean, it's, mm. I think we are very aware and, you know, we are both part of, you know, living through this. And so I think we're probably not extraordinary in the fact that we were fascinated with this, bizarre horrible you know and all those like listening to see how real it was when people are saying i think there's smoke in here and and all of that stuff but you know also i think we weren't as accustomed to these sort of movie like horrible like apocalyptic things happening yeah. where now sadly yeah yeah you're so i think then it was like you it just it wasn't part of our conscious we couldn't even put our minds or like it really it. did awaken us i think as humans to the nastiness of humans yeah and, and the horrible thing is is it then opened the floodgates for people just to do it every day now yeah and i think that makes it easier for things conspiracy theories and things like that to to kind of fly around and i, mm. I just didn't like again i didn't even know that it was a thing and it's it's I, I don't even have the energy to like uh, entertain any of like yeah. any of that. But like you no, said, uh, well, sorry, continue. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, you were saying it opened our eyes to sort of the evil in the world. And mm. one thing I have to say is um, my grandparents, my father's parents were Holocaust survivors. They wow. met in a refugee displaced persons camp in Germany after both being um, surviving the end of the war um, and being liberated from concentration camps. My grandmother had the tattoo number on her forearm. She was liberated from Auschwitz. And wow. my grandparents met in a, like I said, in a, in a displaced persons camp, got married, had their first son there, still in Germany, and they finally made it to the US. And so my father has this experience of growing up as the son of survivors, which is a very unique experience. And so I grew up, not so i grew up sort of understanding that there was evil kind of like from a really early age but it wasn't it was hard to access i mean i guess the same way that people needed to listen to the voicemails on 9-11 to understand like how real it was i think i as a kid like i always uh my grandparents as holocaust survivors was a big deal and i knew it from an early age but yet and then i was sort of fascinated with it but but couldn't really understand. Mm. And then, so even in that, I guess I'm trying to make a connection. I think that 
maybe there is no connection. This is, I, I struggled with this for a long time too. When I sort of started to think about getting well and getting into a better mindset about moving forward. But I, I took a lot of time like thinking about my grandparents and what they went through and then what I went through as a survivor and evil in the world. And I think I'm like trying to like make something connect that doesn't, but, um, I suppose in a way that it, it also gave you a bit of strength to, you know, it did. to move it, on. Well, and carry on. First, it was a lot of guilt. First there was like, you know, there's war and there's famine and there's a Holocaust and my grandparents and that's years. And I go back to my story and about that first 20 minutes that I thought, you know, I was gone and what I saw of people gone around me, but it was 20 minutes. And yeah. so I've spent yeah. a really long time minimizing like my pain and trauma because I feel like, well, these are, you know, now I'm in a place where I can understand sort of all angles and be like, mm. yeah, each, each trauma is different. Like the Holocaust is the Holocaust. Like stop trying to make every, like nothing's, you know. Um, yeah. But I mean, if anything, it proves that even 20 minutes of your life can be life changing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and affect you and, for the rest um, of your life. Right. And so now I think that's sort of less like shocking that these, these moments and hit. now I feel like everybody has been connected to a mass shooting or a, yeah. a, a you know, some environmental like catastrophe catastrophe yeah. and something. And it's just, so I almost think like when I talk about nine 11, even though I, I have to remind myself that not everyone that, you know, people don't know the details and it's interesting or helpful to hear from someone who survived about the story is, but I sort of look at the opportunity to talk to you and other people more as if I can help, you know, these people, any, anyone that, or everyone is basically affected by some sort of trauma these days mm -hmm. that I, um, in telling my story, it's more the aftermath of 9-11 that I would want people to also remember that I spent yeah. like 10 years like dead. And I don't want other people to do that because they think that, oh, because their pain wasn't as long and torturous as somebody in the Holocaust, that they don't deserve to get better and to, yeah. you know, so. So um, that was a, what I wanted to touch on was, um, when did you make that decision and what was sort of your first steps of coming out of it and going and seeking help? Well, I think I really was convinced at the time that I was, Oh, there were two things I was convinced. Like I was fine, even though I really wasn't. And I had nightmares and insomnia and all the, all the literally PTSD was like almost within the first few weeks. And that kind of thing can be caught and helped and, you know, redirected, but I, didn't, you know, I did all, everything that you shouldn't do. Mm. I sort of isolated myself. I really got sucked into those PTSD symptoms. Um, I married the boyfriend at the time, um, who was a terrible person, but something happened where, you know, I, I was just so broken that like mm. any, so I don't, I don't know. And so I think my point is that things just got so I, maybe this is like a, 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 you can guess that this is how it happened, but it was just like, I got to, there was no more, there wasn't anywhere else to go. It wasn't going to get any worse. It was just bottom. It was just, so 
the the bad coping skills and drinking and doing whatever and isolating and beating myself up and having you know accepting this kind of behavior from my husband um believing when he would tell me like i was crazy or you know and he was doing all sorts of terrible things and like fucking with my head and i believed this because i he was the only per you know i thought and he sort of convinced me that he was the only person that could you know i could rely on and yeah and whatever I'm the only person that's going to deal with you. Yeah. Yes, it was a terrible. So that makes it even worse where I'm even more guilty and embarrassed about what I'm feeling. So basically it got to where it couldn't get worse where I mean his the shit that he was doing. Sorry, I keep swearing. I just can't help it. Um swear away. <laughs> all right. The fucking bullshit that this guy did. Um I couldn't even believe it that, you know, in my state, but so when it was basically in my face and also physically, I was just so ill. I was either eating too much, drinking too much, not eating. Like I was just physically. And then, you know, the one thing that I had, which was this husband, it, it was basically like he was standing over me with a, I mean, he did not do this, but I'm just trying to <laughs> illustrate like yeah. he's standing over me with a knife and he's like, are you not convinced that I'm about to, you know, it was yeah, like, yeah. He, it had to be that much in my face that I was like physically and emotionally and whatever, like sick at a breaking point where I realized like I couldn't basically function. Um, I had to, and, and it was, it's a weird place to be in where that happens to you. It wasn't like I was so strong was like, I'm going to get help. It was like, I, there was if nothing If I else don't get help, I don't know what will happen. Right. And so I like wandered into some emergency room by myself. Like no one knew I did this. This was, I think in 2010 and I couldn't even express what was wrong. I mean, I was so traumatized and so, and this is 2010. Yeah, so it's like crazy. walking into a place being like, uh, 9-11 and they're like, what are you talking about? And so I finally was sort of redirected to, um, the World Trade Center Health Clinic, which I don't know if you've seen on the news how John Stewart had done a, a big talk in front of U.S. Congress about extending the the medical treatment for its survivors. Oh, didn't. For That's the rest so of good, though. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was like a the um, the first responders who now have this crazy high incidence of cancer from cleaning yeah. up on that pile for so long. Um, that's what they call it. They called it the pile. Um, I don't know if that was like a New York thing or like you guys knew that, but, um, yeah. So first I didn't know that that existed, that resource. And then I went there. Oh my God. And it was like, they understood me. I feel like I'm, mm. this is it's odd. Cause I don't really get that emotional about, but I kind of feel emotional about this. It's just that I remember going there after going from like hospital ER to this other place and no one could understand what I was saying and like getting to this place where they had a multidisciplinary um, team. So they had a social worker, they had psychology, you know, they had actual like uh, breathing um, pulmonologists and, and they were all there to work together to look at each patient like as a whole. And the only patients they have are 9-11 survivors and first so responders. Good. And they understood, like when I could barely form a sentence. Like, well, they, they literally understood. set you free again. Yes, mm. yes. And then they were sort of responsible for, like, I started going there for therapy and stuff. 
unfortunately, I couldn't really get into the trauma stuff so much because I was in such a state of crisis that they actually like helped me. Well, besides helping me like get on medication and therapy and whatever, I never did anything like regularly. It took a long time to like really get into the right healing, but they helped me through like that dark crisis I was in. So to get yeah. out of that marriage and that, you know, this was all really horrible stuff that was like, it was basically how to clear the shit like that was right in front of me. And they helped for those first few years. That was like to 2012, 13. And then I was really free from the immediate crisis of like that dark place I had landed in after so long that then it was like the beginning of the healing that I probably should have been at that point in like 2003, but instead yeah. it was 2013 and that's okay. Now I can say it's okay. Even in, then I was like, I mean, I really teetered on um, sort of what the value of my life is and this sort of thing. And, you know, you just go somewhere. That's so, Oh, I bet. So terrible. And then, um, yeah. So, so I'm still sort of, I mean, I'm out of the marriage. I'm out. Of, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, and single. Um, Any and, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello, anyone with that nice accent. I heard that the, um, my friend who lives in Australia told me, um, okay, now I'm going to embarrass. I won't say her name. Um, even though I have only one friend that lives in Australia. You know but, who um, you are. <laughs> she, you know who you are. She told me that the um, like maintenance men who come fix your, like when you, they're called. Um, your pipes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But the actual, the literal physical metal pipes. Tradies. Tradies, yes, yes, that's what they're called. I yes. just learned this like two months ago, and they wear short shorts. Yep. <laughs> but not so, all of them um, are attractive. I'll just let you know. Oh, is some that of those, true? Some of those traders will turn up, and they're probably fifty kilos over. Ruining my fantasy. <laughs> and then the crack shows, so they yeah. call it plumbers oh. crack. Well, so when they're when they're actually under your sink, all you can see is their bum crack hanging out the shorts. Well, the bum crack thing, that's more like around here, like a big guy with a bum crack, like, ugh. But, um, not no, but some of them are anything. delightful. Sorry. I just mean that my friend said that there are, so I like to keep that in. Anyhow, what is no, but there so is No, but I'm going back to that point. There are really some hot ones. It, there's actually, I think even on instagram or there was a website that you could go to and there's uh, pictures of again? hot tradies tradies yeah is it like demeaning to call someone a trade no 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 because so basically what it is it's it's they're they're men that have learned a trade oh oh duh yeah. trade okay yeah. so they've learned a trade of plumbing my or mind is like or, yeah. i help you you help me let's make a trade <laughs> all right <laughs> i love it i love it oh it's so funny, it's so funny. oh my gosh yes so, um, maybe I should paint a treaty. <laughs> there you go. New artwork evolved yeah. from the podcast. There's inspiration everywhere <laughs> I turn. I love but, it. But you know, that is actually what I was doing when in, in this new, uh, like I said, renaissance. Um, what's happening now is like, as I'm figuring out what I want to do and who I want to be or not who I want to be. I am who I am. So who, how I want to better myself. 
I'm seeing like inspiration ideas everywhere that seem like regular, like not really big deals to other people, like mm. the dog or the treaty. But to me, it's like signifies so much about like, I'm opening my eyes. I'm talking to new people. I'm learning this. I'm- well, you've seen my artwork. Mine comes the same way. It's, it's purely, yeah. purely from, it just hits me and I've got to create it. it, it I don't right. know it's, what, it's what weird, it is. Right? There's actually a politician here in Australia who everyone hates and she turned up to parliament in a, um, in a burqa. Oh, the weird thing is, cause she, yeah, she was making a point because she dislikes um, (gasps) anyone Muslim. Oh my God. I thought I was like, wow, that's great. She's trying to show like anyone. No, no, it was the the opposite. polar opposite. But the weird thing is, is I actually created an artwork around that about three weeks before she did it. Really? Yeah, it was like a premonition. It was absolutely <laughs> bizarre. I created this art piece and then three weeks later, she's turning up to Parliament in this burger and I'd actually put her in a burger and everything. Oh, my God. It was so surreal. So, yeah, yeah, inspiration comes from everywhere. It's important. It does. And then it feels like the process of, like, of creating whatever it is that you feel like you need to. It's like an itch you need to scratch. Um yeah. I think it's like that selfie I took a few years ago in the bathroom of the 9-11 memorial. Oh, I just have to explain that feeling. I don't know if, if um, just for anyone that has PTSD out there, my PTSD pals, that feeling that like suddenly someone screamed and you almost shit your pants. Yeah. That's the feeling that like shock, like suddenly like, holy shit. Mo- like I get that wave, that, that feeling multiple times a day still wow. like I'm able to recover from it quickly. And there are things it's like, Someone can, when I had a conventional job, someone would tap me on the shoulder or something. And I was like, had earphones in or was typing something and I would jump or scream, like have that like rush of like, um, and I know people would laugh and I'm like, so was there sort of like, was there, um, a way of support or compensation or anything like that, that allowed you to continue living and stuff like that for any of the, uh, not, it's really complicated. It's, um, so I remember, I keep doing that. I remember, I think I'm like buying time in my brain being like, calm down. It's okay. Um, maybe it was a year later or something. I was still working for Morgan Stanley. I stayed with them for a couple of years because I don't know. It felt like my small team, like together, we, they were the only other ones that kind of, I don't know. I didn't really, I couldn't think beyond day to day. So I just sort of was doing plugging along and, uh, they sent us like a, the Bruce Springsteen album, like the CD, the one that he made that was that he wrote after 9-11. Right. And, and they sent it to us and a check for like $500 or something. And um, it was so weird. I remember being, oh, and a pen that said like extraordinary times, extraordinary people. And it just, it didn't, it rubbed me the wrong way. I don't that think I stayed so that much longer random. there. It was so weird. So there was no, I think, and I didn't know to look into any sort of, so, you know, I kept working until I couldn't work anymore. And only recently, like a few years ago, when I sort of like was at my bottom bottom, did I understand that I could explore some, you know, workers' compensation or things from way back then. But there, it's not like there was, I I am a million percent grateful that the World Trade Center Health Clinic exists, yeah. that I can get 
I can get, I get my prescription drugs through them and I can see, you know, a variety of doctors through them at no cost to me, but that's it. Like there isn't yeah, yeah. a, it's not like you trip on the sidewalk and you sue the city and you get $5 million. Like yeah, there isn't yeah. anything else, you know. It, but I've noticed that with um, insurance and workers comp and stuff like that, they don't really love letting people know what's actually available. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. It's like, oh, and we'll I, tell you about that when you've literally gotten yes. to the, the brinking point. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I was, I mean, I'll be honest, I was hospitalized for five, no, seven days, maybe. Yeah. Um, it was just like at basically everything that you can imagine, all my bad coping, like I did like on one night. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm going to survive to the morning. And then I, you know, I went to, it was sort of a planned emergency room visit that I stayed in and um, tried to recalibrate medicine and, and stop drinking and stuff for a little while and, and whatever. So it was your, like you said, it was until literally the very breaking point that I had to, that's when I, it, it wasn't, that I wanted money or something. It was like, I couldn't afford to pay for a hospital stay. No, so yeah. I, that's when I started researching, like what, how do I do this? And I, I mean, the shit that they make you go through and it makes me so sad for any other, not necessarily terror, survive, just any trauma survivors, just the doctor, the people and the insurance and all this stuff. Like, why do they beat you up? And, and so it's just so heartless how they, dismiss and 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 the hardest thing too is that they're putting they're making you go and do this stuff when you're at your worst point yes it's sort of like you know just recently my mother passing away and then literally two days later having to start to organize a funeral and make decisions it's like you're literally at the worst point of your life and they're wanting you to make a decision about the color of a coffin or something right (laughs) and it's like (laughs) yeah anything's gonna like yes that's it's like you don't have your faculties to and and i went the insurance company had a doctor that talked to me and his report after he talked to me was so infuriating it was so victim shaming it was so upsetting and like i mean he 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 just put a lot of blame on it it was just basically confirming a lot of the horrible self-doubt and self-hatred sort of stuff that I had dealt with privately for so many years. So, but anyhow, I got through that. Um, I didn't even need a, all the doctors, everyone was like, this is one of the, like, she checks every single box for PTSD, like every single symptom. So there was no argument over like what, you know, had happened to me. It was just, going through that and recounting stuff and having someone question, you know. Oh, I bet. I um, bet. That's why so what, we... That's, sorry, what, what oh, would I was just going to say that's why we talk about it now. So yeah, exactly. Because I, I think it's so essential and so important to talk about because it's not only healing for you, but it's also, as I, I mentioned before, it's, it's leaving that... It's, it's leaving a legacy and a memory of the people that did, you know, that were mm-hmm. victims and did perish on that horrible day. Yeah. Um, yeah. What would be your final thoughts that you'd like people to know, listeners to know about that whole story? I think people are going to take away whatever they're going to take away from different like snapshots of the story, whether they had, they didn't know really the story of 9-11 or what it felt like when you were, you know, so 
aside from all that, what like individuals like filling in the blanks of something they didn't know, something that I just want to make sure and I want to leave the message is that my, I don't think it had, my whole story had to be the way it, it turned out. I mean, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time looking back and being like, I should have done, but if there is a little bit of a moral to the story, um, this was, it's possible that I could have been redirected and that my, the PTSD that I live with still that I'm aware of. And it's really frustrating because I don't feel so, you know, anyhow, it's just, it's such a drag that I said still a thing, but, um, I hope that people from this whole story understand that, you know, if there's some sort of earlier intervention, and unfortunately now there are so many terrible things that are just more frequent and they seem like video games with shootings and everything. And, you know, so maybe this is happening, I'm not sure, but if people have access to um, some mental health, the the right kind of, support and help and direction early on Mm. um that is such a deterrent from you know one thing and so that's i guess the early the early help is is one thing that i would want people to understand that i didn't have that um and that's part of what happened and also just to to be able to talk about sort of these terrible things that happen to us, but also how we handle them. And usually we're, you know, we can be embarrassed about all these things. And I, you know, I'm an open book now. So I just, the other message I would want to leave people is to, to be more open themselves or, or know that like, I'm doing it like other people, it's cool. You can talk about trauma. And if we do that, you know, it will encourage people to maybe have that earlier intervention I'm quite, I'm quite happy to be open and vulnerable. I think that it's the best way, not only to warm people to you, but it also gives them an opportunity to be vulnerable also. And I think that's what we need right now on this planet because everyone's just trying to be the bravado and the big tough guy. And we look amazing on Instagram and all that sort of stuff, all the bravado Mm -hmm. that's out there. When really mm-hmm. we're all just battling through life. We really are. Yeah. Which is why I have on my Instagram paintings and drawings of myself looking all contorted and crying. <laughs> like, this but your art's is. amazing. Actually, do you want people to have a look? Um, mention oh, your yes. Instagram. Go, tell them. It's, oh, it's embarrassing. Because I no. didn't do social Okay, it's Becky underscore Foxy. That's my dog. F-O-X-Y. <laughs> underscore art i feel like this is like such a like an older person who doesn't know technology being like becky foxy no (laughs) no not at all god have you seen some of the names out there (laughs) oh my god i was like tormenting myself over that and then i realized no one fucking cares i actually had to laugh yesterday because i'm doing an i'm part of an exhibition in september this year um, and one of the obviously one of the artists because i was tagged in it Another uh-huh. artist has then started following me on Instagram and I had to laugh at her name. Uh, I just got my period. No! <laughs> That's so good. I know, I oh love it. And on that note, know. on that note, I'm going to let you go because we've... Um, we because I just got my period. Are you- <laughs>
<laughs> and I could talk to you all day. I seriously could. I find you so... Me too. I'm so... Don't go, please. I know, I know. But we will let the listeners go at least. Um, okay. And I thank you so much, Becky. I really, really appreciate you talking to me. Thank you for talking to me. And and like, I just sending so much love to everyone in Australia. Thank you. Especially the one who told me about the tradesies. (laughs) I love it. All right, darling, we'll speak soon. Okay, definitely. It's like Oprah, but not.